Welcome to friends, colleagues, and listeners of the Yoga Therapy Hour and beyond. We have such a wonderful celebration that we wanted to share with you because without you, the listeners, it would not be possible. We are just at 100,000 downloads for the podcast. We've been going about two and a half years and almost 200 episodes. And here we are at 100,000 downloads. We really wanted to celebrate this milestone with you because you're the ones that made it happen. And we hope that we have many more years of connection, collaboration, curiosity, kindness, and compassion to share with each other. And so as a way to kind of mark this moment in time and celebrate this wonderful heartfelt achievement, we're going to let you in on a conversation between Marlisa Sullivan, Stephen Porges, and myself. And this is a conversation that we had when we were creating a course for the Polyvagal Institute that Stephen, Marlisa, and I are going to be offering this fall, 2023 which you can still join, and ongoing. We hope to be offering this course for many years to come. So if you're hearing this interview that Marlisa and I did with Stephen Porges, and it's beyond the fall of 2023, it's okay. You can join at another time. We just wanted to give you an inside look at what it means to combine therapeutic yoga and polyvagal theory how things come together, and to hear it from the man himself, Stephen Porges, how it is that yoga can benefit us as we learn to regulate our own nervous systems, to find safety, and then to co-regulate with other human beings for more meaning and connection in life. So here's a short interview with Stephen Porges. And if you want to hear the entire interview, you can join us for the course at Polyvagal Institute. All right. Enjoy. And thank you again. Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour. My name is Amy Wheeler, and I'm your host. The Yoga Therapy Hour is here to support you on your mental, emotional, and spiritual journey. We talk about things like nervous system regulation, spiritual connection, how to be more involved in your community, how to communicate well, how to manage your mental health. There are so many things that we are excited to share with you in season five of the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast, and we hope that you will share it with your friends, family, colleagues. All right, let's get into today's episode. Welcome. My name is Amy Wheeler, and I'm here with Marlisa Sullivan and Steve Porges. So happy to be with you today. Welcome to both of you. Well, thank you. It's going to be a pleasure to have a dialogue with both of you. I'm really looking forward to our topics today. I think our overall topic today is the importance of safety in the therapeutic relationship. So I'd just like to start by asking Steve, number one, how do you define safety in the therapeutic relationship? And then number two, why is it so important? Well, let's start with the definition. And the definition is actually more complex than we want to, you know, we use words like safety or feeling safe. We think it's kind of a superficial description of our feelings. But within polyvagal theory, Feeling safe is really the psychological manifestation of our autonomic nervous system being in a state of homeostasis. 
So with that complexity, so in a sense, when our autonomic nervous system supports homeostasis, it supports health, growth, and restoration, and it creates the platform to feel safe. And when we disrupt the homeostasis, we're basically changing autonomic states to support defenses or fight, fight, or sense threat. So we can now see manifested in our autonomic nervous system, whether or not we're in a state of safety or we're in a state of threat. So how do we, in a therapeutic setting, read that? And that's really what your basic question is. How do we get information on that? In many ways, the intuitive therapist or intuitive human being knows this. And that is, you see it in people's faces, you see it in their voices, and you see it in their muscle tension. So when the body shifts into a state of threat, their voices become higher pitched, more monotonic, less prosodic, less intonation. Vocalization is a powerful portal to understanding whether a person is safe. Because it's not the words, it's the intonation of the words. And it's the intonation of the words because laryngeal and pharyngeal nerves are vagal. They're paralleling the vagal regulation of our heart. So when the vagal regulation of the heart is calming us, guess what? Our voices are more melodic. So we can literally hear that and functionally feel the presence of others in the intonation of their voice. We can also see in their faces, so especially the upper part of the face, many people going in for various forms of therapy, and especially I would say within yoga therapy, may have a history of adversity. They may have a trauma history, and their upper parts of their faces are going to be flat. They won't have affect or show exuberance. There's an orbital muscle around the eye, and I want basically people to pay attention to that one because that orbital muscle around the eye is called the orbicularis oculi, and it's regulated by a branch of the facial nerve. And that branch of the facial nerve is regulated in the area of the brainstem called the ventral vagal complex. And it's also linked to whether or not the middle ear muscles are contracted. So when people are exuberant or showing a lot of light in the upper part of their face, you know, people we feel that we're interested in knowing more, they're actually contracting their middle ear muscles, which enables them to hear what we're saying. So now we can start seeing that the communication or social communication, we're being signaled whether they're going to be accessible to our engagement, to our words. And this is really the initiation of a co-regulatory relationship between any two social mammals and in the clinic between the therapist and the client. That was a beautiful explanation. I, I think, you know, telling us what it actually means and then how it's manifest, how we can see it is so important. Yeah. And why is that important was the second part. Okay. It's well, because when it's received, when the person is now responding back to us with more animated face, more prosodic, our own bodies, neuroception, we're detecting that. So when a person responds to us with a flat face and a monotonic voice, it triggers in us a state of defensiveness. And the therapist, I mean, one of the most important aspects of doing therapy is your relationship with the client. And we use terms like therapeutic presence. But what it really is saying is that you're not reacting at times in kind to the client. So if the client's in a state of threat, you don't respond with a threat reaction or you get into the spiral of people basically leaving the clinic. But you have a sense of compassion where you're aware of the other person's flat face, lack of intonation, but more so you're aware of your own body's reaction. And that's where it becomes important. So you start understanding that some clients you feel so comfortable with, you can't wait till they get into the room. And other clients, you say, oh, this is going to be a long hour. And the answer is because they're not giving you the cues 
the signals that your nervous system craves to basically feel connected, feel accessible with that person. So there are two parts of this. We need to not only decode the client, but we have to monitor our own body. And when we monitor our own body, we can't overreact to the reactions that we're having to the unambiguous cues of threat that many individuals will have when we're trying to be helpful to them. I think it's such a fine line between don't take it personally, don't be defensive, but then also respond appropriately to have someone who's clearly suffering and then respond like with a big smile and a happy words is also kind of well you you don't have to have a big smile you just have to be a good witness so the issue we're really doing is we're crafting what it is that the nervous system of those who have been traumatized uh, what does it need it doesn't need you smiling at them but it needs you really being receptive to them without in a sense evaluating if we start saying oh that was a horrible experience you had and we grimace when they describe it what are they doing to us and what does their nervous system tell them their nervous system tells them that their narrative is actually creating an injury in you and that we don't want so the real exercise for the therapist and your astute question is we have to become better witnesses. What does that mean? We have to maintain presence and support without that empathic reaction to someone else's injury or someone else's pain. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, just to kind of build off that a little bit. First of all, one of the things I really appreciate that you were speaking to was just that idea of the complexity that a lot of times, you know, I'll hear people talk about polyvagal theory and there's this way of talking about the vagus nerve as this kind of soul endeavor. But really that there is always this like co-activation of systems, which I think is so important. Mm -hmm. But then what you were just saying, I'm really interested in this idea of co-regulation. As a therapist, if you're working with someone who isn't in that social engagement state, they're not in that ventral vagal activation, but you're trying to hold that space, right? Like you were just talking. I'm just really interested in, so if we can't co-regulate with our client and our client can't Hmm. quite co-regulate with us, how do you see this idea of holding your therapeutic presence in that relationship, in that moment? Well, I think it's the primary and and basically the initial point that we have to enter the relationship with the idea is that our ability to hold the presence, hold the space with the client is this ability to witness, to allow the client to be expressive, even if the expressions are negative and potentially hurtful to an uninitiated individual. So the point is we have to allow that person to express their feelings. It's basically a drama or story to live out because we are humans and humans evolve to be very sensitive to certain types of signals like other mammals. And what we're saying is throw your signals at me. I understand where they're coming from. And with that knowledge, once my body makes its reflexive reaction, my interpretive mind will basically nullify that reaction, will buffer it. So we wrote a, actually a little paper with uh, Michael Allison, who does courses for PVI as well. And it really was empathy and compassion. It, says it was elaborating on the points I made in a paper. It's a chapter in the handbook on contemplative neuroscience. What I was basically arguing was that empathy is more of a reflex. It's very much like neuroception. So it happens. If someone's being injured, our physiology is going to kind of like mirror that or react to it. It's part of what's wired into us. 
But the second step of that, after that reflex is what do we do with that information? Do we use it to mobilize, which is really the history of most people. If they get triggered, they functionally ride that energy and they act it out. Or do we reflect on it and say, wow, that's an interesting trigger that got my body, but does my body need to stay there? Once I inform it, I'm not the one that is under threat, although the trigger made my body feel that way. So now a top-down pathway becomes a pathway to compassion. It's the interpretation of our interoceptive reaction, our body's responses to literally a reflexive programming that is part of being human. So we respect that reaction, but we don't act it out is enable it. We get triggered, we acknowledge it, and then we take that breath, take a moment, and now we do our work. And I think in, that just really, to me, highlights this practice of yoga, of being able to come into that discriminative mind and to notice like all of those reflexive bodily, emotional mm. reactions. And even in, in this course, what we're doing with assessment with Amy's charts of really understanding like these different zones of response and how do we know when we're, we as a therapist are out of that gold zone and kind of returning back. Yeah. So that from this idea of safe social engagement, as we begin to work on the ideas of safe mobilization and safe immobilization, are there ways that you see that we can support widening that window of tolerance to safe mobilization and safe immobilization? I think the secret to all that is really the uh, brief comment you made about literally integrated or hybrid states, that the world becomes ours, meaning the uh, ability to mobilize without fear or to play or dance or to immobilize without fear, to have moments of intimacy. What is enabling that to occur? It's the fact that the social engagement system is still on board. Functionally, we could use the term that it constrains or contains the whole autonomic nervous system to function in a pro-social, but also a pro-health way. Because if we think of sympathetic activation merely as fight-flight, it's metabolically costly, our bodies can't maintain it, and it does damage to our, in a sense, our body. But if we see it as coordinate with the ventral vagal complex, we see smiling faces, we see movement, we see reciprocity, and functionally we're seeing co-regulation. And then when we see bodies conforming like a mother and a baby, and we see eyes closed and comfort and the expression on the face is, I'm safe. My body can now do its work. It can heal me. And we've always had that kind of intuition within the whole world of medicine and healthcare. And that is, quote, people need their sleep. They need not to be bothered to heal. But we misunderstood it. We misunderstood that at times healing will be facilitated with a safe co-regulatory being present. So someone just there, just present, holding your hand. And what we've done in many of the medical environments, especially with preterm and newborn babies, was isolation, which is the worst thing for our nervous system because it's a signal of threat. And when we process signals of threat, we can't support homeostatic function. So the bottom line of all this is the social engagement system enables more homeostatic processes to occur, but it also enables this manipulation or regulation of the sympathetic nervous system to enable play, mobilization, immobilization, run, stop, Simon says, you know, all these basic games are games of 
regulation and co-regulation. It seems to me that this is putting a lot of responsibility on the yoga therapist to be regulated themselves so that when they have that reflexive response, they can use the prefrontal cortex to say, nope, this isn't about me. I'm going to hold this space. And Mm -hmm. what if the yoga therapist has so much trauma? Yeah, it's a wonderful question. And we do have some hints on this from the world of somatic therapies, body psychotherapy. And so we actually did a research project with the European and the US body psychotherapy groups. And we had about 800 body therapists and we gave them a few questionnaires. One was my body perception questionnaire, the BPQ, which is a surrogate for measuring autonomic state. And what we have learned is that adversity history or trauma history retunes autonomic state and basically creates greater autonomic reactivity like you're describing. So people are less regulated. Thank you, friends, colleagues, and listeners of the Yoga Therapy Hour and Beyond. We really enjoyed sharing this short segment of the interview that Marlise Sullivan and I did with Stephen Porges. The rest of this interview can be found in the course that Marlisa and I are offering through the Polyvagal Institute, and I'd like to take you to the website. The website is www.polyvagalinstitute.org. And if you go to the tab that talks about courses and learning, you can scroll down and find the course that Marlisa and Stephen Porges and I are offering called Therapeutic Yoga, a Polyvagal Informed Certificate for Body-Mind Practitioners. Now, in addition to joining us for this course, there's another exciting thing that Marlisa and I and Polyvagal Institute are offering, and that is to become part of the community of Polyvagal Institute. They have an app and there's a community that's already been formed and Marlisa and I, and maybe a few other people are going to be hosting the area of the community that has to do with yoga and Ayurveda and the things that we can use out of the yoga toolbox to help us regulate our nervous systems. So I'd love to invite you to also be part of that app. I will get more information and put it in the show notes so that if you'd like to join that free community, we would love to have you there. Marlisa and I will be hosting it for years to come and we would love to share space with you in that way. So look in the show notes Come with us, be part of this new community on the app for the Polyvagal Institute. Check it out in the show notes. Thank you. A special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria. And Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.